um, pretty self-explanatory, right? You, you've got your, your atmosphere, you've got your environment, you've got your culture. Atmosphere is, is more um, singular what's around you. As an individual, your environments are the, the places that you go, uh, the people that you're involved with, like your family, this church, uh, workplace, friends, small groups, whatever else that you have going on. Those are the environments. And then lastly, when all those things kind of culminate, what you have is a culture um, like the South. And, uh, and all those, uh, all those fun things, right? Um, so we, we get, we get cultural things because it's a group of people hanging out together doing things. And, um, so raise your hand if you took high school biology. All right, good. So maybe you've done this before. Uh, when I was in high school biology, we did this thing and, uh, it was this, um, experiment where you took Q-tips and you would go all around the school wherever you wanted to go and you would swab whatever you wanted to swab with the Q-tip. Did, did anybody do this? You guys tracking maybe? All right, I'm going to explain it even if you're, you're not tracking. So you would swab whatever you wanted to swab with the Q-tip like a door handle or uh, the floor or you could go to the bathroom and swab the toilet bowl. Uh, you could go to the locker, to wherever, um, and swab whatever you wanted to swab. And then you would come back to the room, and they had these little uh, plastic containers called Petri dishes. I don't know why they're called Petri dishes. I'm maybe Mr. Petri invented them. I don't know. Um, but they had these little, little discs, and uh, inside it was this jelly-like solution called auger. And you would take the Q-tip of whatever you swabbed and you would write down, you know, uh, gym floor, urinal, door handle, uh, I don't know, cafeteria, lunch lady's hand. <laughs> and you, you would just, you know, put, put all your Petri dishes out and you'd label what you swabbed and then so you take each Q-tip that you swabbed, whatever you swabbed, and put it in the auger and wait 24 hours. Uh, does anybody know what that is called? Taking a culture. Taking a culture. You see, what you're doing is you are swabbing an environment and you're putting it in a little test tube to see what grows. Because you see, culture grows naturally. It just does. And see, um, the thing is, is we as a people have a tendency to focus solely on changing culture, when in reality it starts way before that. It starts way before that. Um, you see, here's the beautiful thing. The atmosphere has already been changed. It was changed when Jesus died on the cross for our sins. It was changed the moment that God created everything because he had a plan for humanity. He had a plan for Jesus to come and die on the cross for our sins. And because of that, he changed the atmosphere. You see, 
in science, the atmosphere is the um, mixture of gases that create whatever the atmosphere is. And uh, in order for, let's say, bacteria to grow, by the way, um, in my high school biology, when I did this uh, experiment, um, you know what the most bacteria-ridden, gross thing was? It was the door handle. We swabbed the um, toilet bowl and the lunch lady's hand and all that fun stuff, and it was the door handle. That was the grossest thing, the most germ-infested thing. So when you leave here, elbow out the door. Um, so anyway, uh, but in order for the germs to grow on the door handle, the atmosphere has to be right. Like the mixture of gases and so on and so forth has to, to be right. And the environment has to be, to be right. Like the, the, the door handle itself, the environment has to be right in order for that bacteria to grow. And so spiritually speaking, what has happened is when God sent Jesus to die on the cross for us, he forever changed the atmosphere. You see, our atmosphere is always conducive to life. The gases that are in this room are conducive to life. You know how I know that? Because you're still sitting here. Everybody take a breath for me. (gasps) Now here's the thing. You can argue with me until you're blue in the face. You can talk about it all day long about how this atmosphere is not conducive to life and how um, oxygen doesn't exist and how all of those kind of things. But guess what, friends? Your heart beating and your lungs expanding tell me otherwise. Jesus forever changed the spiritual atmosphere of this entire planet. Every single human on the face of the earth is benefiting from the the spiritual atmosphere of Jesus changing it. Whether they accept it or not, they are benefiting from a spiritual atmosphere that forever changed the world. So, when you walk into a place and you go, whoa, the spirit's weird in here, man. This atmosphere's not good. Guess what? You change it. Because the atmosphere now on this planet is always conducive to life because God has made it so. Next, all right, so you are the carrier of the atmosphere. Next is the environment, all the different places that we go, our home, our friends, our family, our job, our so on and so forth. The environments. Um, This is particularly what I wanna talk about um, today is... um, one environment in particular, and, and uh, it, it has to do with the environment of family. And so um, the Lord told me this week, he reminded me as I was studying and asking, you know, what, what needs to happen for this and so on and so forth. Um, he, he reminded me uh, that three things need to take place today. Number one is um, a testimony, a prophetic word, and his anointing to teach. And if those things are in place, then it will develop the faith for a particular matter. So what I mean by that is if I want faith for a particular thing, like if I wanna grow in an understanding of a particular subject matter, 
then what would be very important is number one, a testimony, meaning someone who has experienced said thing, someone who has experienced God's goodness, for example. If I want to understand God's goodness better, a testimony of his goodness is good. Second is a prophetic word or something that is yet to happen, a promise that God promises for all of us about his goodness, or in this case, about family. And then lastly, his anointing to teach us about those things. And when his anointing teaches us through the power of a testimony and the power of a prophetic word, then what happens is faith is developed. And so what I wanna do this morning is talk about the importance of family. And I wanna do that under the banner of a testimony and a prophetic word, and then hopefully um, the Lord will teach us uh, something and we'll develop a faith for it. Is that cool? Come on. That's good. So we're not gonna worry about culture because if we step into a strong identity because Jesus already changed it for us, and the environments that we allow ourselves to be put in um, grow in Christ, then culture just does its thing, right? Bacteria just grows, all right? We're gonna put Jesus bacteria on everything. Everybody's gonna get infested with Jesus, all right? Is that cool? Okay, so here's a, um, I I just wanna share kind of a a personal testimony. Um, So first off, God has, established an environment of family, all right? In in our society today, where we are all sitting right now, he has established an environment of family. Now, American culture has not, okay? Um, But God has, Um, and it's a way in which God has blessed us. Like, not only has he changed our atmosphere, which means that our spiritual atmosphere is conducive to life, but we actually get to step into an environment that is full of kingdom-minded family principles. We get to walk in family the way God intended family to look like. Now, I know we all have a bunch of different definitions of family. Like some people, when you think family, it's like, oh, fun, let's get together with my family and hang out. And then some of you are like, oh, shoot, the cops are gonna come because there's gonna be a fight and da-da-da-da-da, right? Like everybody has a different view of family. Um, But I I wanna talk about a God-ordained environment of family that God has blessed us with, all right? Um, So quick little testimony, personally, from my own walk Um, so some of you, if you've gone to this church for a little bit of time, you wouldn't, you know, that, um, my wife and I, uh, experienced a miscarriage a couple years ago and that was super detrimental for her and I, um, obviously much more so for her. Like, I mean, is as much as, um, like shocking and broken as that was for me to encounter, I can't even imagine what a mother encounters in that. And if you have encountered a miscarriage before, I know that resonates with you. Like there's just this, this just grief <laughs> that just sweeps over you. And, um, and so we, we encountered that and that was rough. Um, still in the midst of it, we, we knew that God was good. And we still believed that and we proclaimed it, even though I didn't necessarily feel that because of the, the, the grief, we still continue to walk in faith that he is good. Um, if you would throw that next picture up here. Um, so now 
Yes. If you all tell my wife that this picture is on here, I'm going to hurt you all. Because I'm sure she wouldn't like it. Because you know how women are, right? They nitpick like all this stuff. My hair's out of place and all that. Anyway, she's gorgeous, by the way. Um, So this is uh, Silas Zachariah Bennett. um, And we welcomed him uh, to this planet um, on the 29th of November. So he's like two weeks old. It was awesome. We're super pumped to have him. Um, so our, our third kid and, um, the, just the miracle of birth and that whole thing, like it just continues to, to blow my mind. Um, so, uh, I believe in the power of naming something like, uh, when, when you, when you give something a name, you are proclaiming an identity over that thing. Um, and we, we got that, like, I saw that very clearly when we went to Israel for the first time, because everything has, like, a significant name. This is this place that symbolizes this thing, and, like, all the people remember it because of that thing, and it's got a, a particular name. And so um, we, we really take seriously, like, naming our kids because we believe it's putting an identity on them. And, uh, and so like, for instance, my daughter who's eight, her name is Lillian Eve, which means flower of life. And she, she literally, she's gorgeous like a flower and she's just full of life. She's artsy and creative and dance and gymnastics and all that fun stuff. And it's just cool to see how, like, as we prayed and asked the Lord, like to give us a name and, and we named her that, like she has become that she is becoming that. And we remind her of that all the time. My little flower of life. Like, I just, I love to see that. And, um, um, uh, so by the way, when I was backing out this morning to leave, she was awake and, uh, and she was standing at the window knocking and I'm like backing out in my truck and I stop and she's like, wait, wait. And I, I get out and I walk up and through the window, she goes, I forgot to hug you. And I'm like, yes, you're my flower of life. Maybe you won't do that when you're 14, but you do at eight. So I'll take it. Um, so anyway, so, and then we have Liam Malachi, our other son, and uh, that means guardian angel. And when he was born, he had literally a cross on his face. Um, it, it, they call it a stork bite, I think, or some other, I don't know what the scientific name is, but it's like when he gets mad, sometimes you can still see the red mark on his face. Sometimes I hit him just to make him mad, just so I can, like, I'm just kidding, I don't do that. Um, but anyway, we believe that, that literally like, like he, he is a guardian, he's a protector and an angel he's sent from the Lord, like he is a messenger and, and um, it's just so cool to see how he embodies that name. And so, um, um, oh man, I didn't share this first service, but I will this one. Um, so our other child that's not here, um, his name is Salem Nehemiah. And um, it's crazy because the Lord... Like with both of the, the our first two children, um, God gave us the name after they were born. And we, we prayed for like a couple days and they're like, don't you want to leave the hospital? Because if you do, you need to name this kid. Uh, and so so we did. Um, but with, with um, uh, the miscarriage, um, the Lord gave us the name Salem Nehemiah way, like way early. And we didn't tell many people and that kind of stuff. And Salem means peace. Um, and Nehemiah means God comforts. Peace that God comforts. And it happened before. I mean, it was just, it's just crazy to see how God does this. And, uh, so anyway, so um, that happened. 
like I said, we had a, a we had some heaviness like to walk through, and um and so we were like, do we even want to have another kid? Is I mean I. I mean, I know my wife is like struggling to, to walk through that and so on and so forth, but we decided to, uh, to try for it anyway um, and just trust that, that the Lord's good and that he's going to restore and so on and so forth. And we had several people praying for us. I've got intercessors that pray for me and my wife and um, all those kind of things. And before my wife conceived, okay, so this, before she conceived with um, Silas, uh, a... Um, a friend of my wife's here at the church came to her and she said, um, I, I feel like his name is Zachariah. And we had not told like anybody that the boys in our family will have prophetic names, Liam, Malachi, Salem, Nehemiah, um, Zachariah, Silas, Zachariah. Um, but but we, we just strongly believed that um, taking that like prophetic mantle and placing it on our children was important. And so, um, so uh, we were like, cool, that's awesome. Um, we didn't, like I said, we didn't tell anybody that prophetic names were on our radar. So we just kind of committed that to prayer and to the Lord and that was it. So fast forward a few months, my wife gets pregnant and um, we still haven't named the baby or anything like that. And um, uh, this lady, my, my, my wife's friend, um, her daughter, um, we are in the student ministry on a Wednesday night. This was months ago. And um, I was playing music and she had a word for me, but didn't want to give it because I'm the pastor, right? Can't give a word to the pastor. Um, but uh, but uh, she gave it to my wife. And um, it was, Zachariah is strong and will have many gifts. Now, um, when I heard that, like when my wife came home and told me that, I was like, oh, cool. You know, a mother and a daughter, They've talked about that. Clearly, it's, you know, no big deal. That's awesome. They've been talking about Zachariah and all that fun stuff. Well, a few hours later, my wife's friend texts her and said, I have not said one word to my daughter about that name. And it had been months since that had happened. And so, friends, um, just a little side note. uh, Age has nothing to do with the Holy Spirit's anointing. Age has nothing to do with the Holy Spirit's anointing. Um, And I typically don't do this because I know how this feels. Um, But Isabella is in the room. And will you just raise your hand one second? Isabella um, is like, she, you have uh, an anointing on your life. And I, I believe in you. And I just want to continue to pray and ask the Lord that you will continue to step into that. Because you and Olivia, your mom, named my child. The word Zechariah means that the Lord remembers. Silas means we asked. We asked and the Lord remembered. 
And what's awesome about this testimony is that because of the family that I'm a part of, the family participated in this child stepping onto this planet. The family walked my wife and I through the grieving process of a miscarriage. The family celebrated the birth of a new child coming into this place. And the family named our child. It blows my mind. We've gone to the doctor three times with him. And um, before he was born, there was at least five or six different times where uh, people, just random people that do not know each other in this in this house, in this family, uh, random people would come up and say, man, I feel like the Lord is saying that he's strong, like mighty and strong. Like those are, those are words that I I keep getting. He's, he's strong. And, um, uh, all three times that we've gone to three different doctors, all three times, every one of them, as soon as they pick him up, they go, geez, he's really strong. And I'm like, yes, he is. It's his noble woodsman character. He's going to have a beard by, his, by the time he's like one or two. It's going to be awesome. You see, friends, by the way, my last name, Bennett, it means blessed. I mean, come on. It doesn't get any better than that. Um, we are, like my family is just truly blessed. And the, the, I know that sometimes the stories don't turn out with happy endings. Like I know that there's still moms in here trying to conceive and I know that there's people that are dealing with sickness and death and loss and so on and so forth. But the thing is, is that even if we would have miscarried again, I would be standing here telling you that God is still good. He's still good. He's still good. We continue to choose to walk toward his goodness in an environment of family. He is developing a family in this place. You see, we need to be a part of a family. We need to be, we need to embody a name. We need to have that. It's something important. Like, like we, it's in, it's inbred in our DNA to desire to be a part of something, to want connection, to want to be connected. Because you see, our identity comes from God. Like he's the only one that should be speaking into your identity, but it's confirmed and communicated by family. You know how I know that's true? Because I've seen time and time again, family, kids born into families, and the families say, well, you're dumb. You're not smart enough. You're not good enough. You're never gonna amount to this. You're never gonna amount to to that. And guess what? The kids live up to it. What if in this house, we started claiming God's identity of that person on them from the get-go? Hey, Silas, Zechariah, you are bold and you are strong. God has remembered you and you are here for a purpose and a divine calling. And what if we began to call our kids up into that? What if we began to call our friends up into that and our coworkers into that instead of complaining that we had to go to another family get together where the cops were gonna come and so on and so forth? What if we stopped complaining about the family and started treating them the way God treats us? Full of love and grace and mercy. You see, he's established an environment of family here. But the thing is, is he's inviting us to walk into an expectation of family. 
An expectation of family means that there is an expectation that is met. In every environment that we subject ourselves to, there are expectations. When I go home, there is an expectation of my kids and my wife for me to be a husband and a father. There's an expectation of that. I can have an environment of family, but when I step into my home, there's an expectation that I'm called not me, performance-oriented, religion, that kind of stuff, but I am called because dad, God, has sent his son, Jesus, to empower me by Holy Spirit to be a great father, to be a great husband, to be a great coworker. Not because I'm that good, but because he is, and he makes me good all the time, right? You know that old church statement, God is good all the time, all the time, God's good? Guess what? So are you. Because you are hidden in Christ, Colossians tells us. And if you're hidden in Christ, it means you're good. You're good. So what if we stopped this season being overwhelmed and distracted and we started treating people like family? Not the crazy family that you might know and love. but the ones that God sees. If you have dad issues, start by saying, hey God, what do you think about my dad? Hey God, what do you think about my mom, my sister, my friends, my coworkers, so on and so forth? What if we began to filter everything through the lens of family? That God has stewarded us naturally and spiritually, relationships. So here's the prophetic word this morning. This is the promise for all of us that is true because it's in scripture and it's from the mouth of God. In Psalm 68, in my prep time for this this message, like this was not something (laughs) that I was focusing on whatsoever. And like late, late one night or early one morning, I don't remember, he slapped me in the face with this passage. In Psalm 68, this is the prophetic word for this morning, for us in the environment of family. In Psalm 68, five and six, it says this. God is the father of the fatherless. He's the protector of widows, is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home And he leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. He's a father to the fatherless, a protector of widows. Think about this with me for just a moment. Fatherless people or orphans, right? And and widows, or one thing that, that widows and orphans have in common is that they are left alone without a choice. Orphans don't have a choice to be orphans. Widows don't have a choice to be widows. They're left alone. And so what God is promising is that if you feel alone, he's here and he's with you. If you feel alone today, like maybe you have a natural dad, maybe you have a great family, Maybe you have a great husband, a great mom, a great dad, whatever. Maybe all of these things are great, but you still still feel alone. 
my wager would be because you actually don't want to let family in. You see, one of the greatest contenders to stop connection in family is shame. It's the reason why we're fake sometimes. We come to church and we put on this air that we know the Bible or we're deeply spiritual or we're whatever because deep down inside we're afraid that if I get too close to this person then they're actually going to know who I really am. And if they know who I really am then they're not going to like me and then I'm not going to be, get to be in the group. You see, God flips the switch on this, the script on this. He's a father to the fatherless if you're alone. He's a protector of the widows if you're alone, if you feel shameful, if you feel broken, if you feel left out. You know what he does? It says he promises that he settles the solitary in a home. You see, in the Hebrew, the word home, there, there's not a word in Hebrew for the word family. And so anytime in, in uh, the Old Testament, when you see the word like house, home, family, dwelling, that type of stuff, it's, it's almost 90 some percent the same word. And it, and it basically means house or household. And so what God is actually saying in this passage is that God will settle the people who are alone in a family. So if you feel alone, the promise the prophetic word for this morning is that he will settle you or he will make a dwelling place, a place for you to sit in, which is family, the way that he ordained it. You do not have to walk this life alone. And it doesn't take a husband or a wife or a natural mom or a dad or any of those kind of things in order to have a spiritual family. He promises that if we as the body will operate the way that he intends us to, we will encounter family every single time. Every single time. So what I'd like to encourage you to do this morning. Oh man, this is so tough. Expose yourself. Expose yourself. What if you just stopped trying to put up the front and keep people at arm's length and you actually told a couple people who you really are? Who you really are? The person that lies down at, sleep, at night and goes to sleep and is alone with their own thoughts, what if you told someone who you really are? What if you found within this body a couple people, two, three, five, ten, a group of people that you could be willing to share your innermost thoughts with? Because I promise you, if you do, you're not going to get met with crazy. You're not going to get met with, oh, geez, I, I, can't, I can't deal with that. You'll get met with probably, I've thought that way too. I've felt that way too. I've done that before. I'm in the same boat. 
You see, friends, family doesn't hit us the way that I think God intends family to hit us because we've developed all these preconceived notions of what family is like when we keep everyone at arm's length. And it's time to stop that. And it's time to start operating in a place of transparency. Now, I'm not saying you got to stand on this stage and bear all your stuff. But I am saying that in order for this promise to be true in your life, you got to find somebody. You got to step in. You got to say, hey, God, you promise that you're a father to the fatherless. You promise that you take the lonely people and you put them in a place. So God, I want to put that to the test. I want to see that true in my life. And so in order for that to be true, step into a group of two or three or four, and maybe it's your blood family. Maybe it is. Or maybe it's a small group, or maybe it's just one or two other people. Maybe it's people that are not even in this place. But who are you going to be real with? If you're married in this room, I'll tell you right now, this is from the Lord. Your husband and your wife is your first step. Your husband and your wife is your first step. When scripture says the two shall become one flesh, that wasn't just imagery. That wasn't just a cool little statement. No, that means husbands, your wife has access to your eyes, your thoughts, your feelings. Wives, your husband has access to your thoughts, your feelings, your eyes, what you see, what you say. I promise you, if you want to encounter family the way kingdom intended family to be, what if we started by dropping the stronghold, dropping the the persona, drop it and just be who you are. Because the reality is, is God is madly in love with you anyway. Anyway, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you're still doing, he's madly in love with you. So if you can start with that and you share something, and somebody goes, whoa, I didn't intend, whoa, that's too much. You don't have to be shameful because you're not gaining anything from them anyway. Because the God of this universe loves you deeply.